again, everybody, and welcome to our fifth season of Scope of Practice, a podcast from the Connecticut Certification Board. I'd like to offer thanks to all of last year's guests, but most importantly, to those who listen to us often. If this is your first time listening, we've got a great topic to start the season, the installation of hope. The concept of hope is a powerful in the context of grief, chronic health conditions, or even life-threatening disease. According to Dr. Adam Stern, Director of Psychiatry at Beth Israel Deaconess Memorial Hospital in Boston, as well as Assistant Professor of Psychiatry at Harvard Medical, considers hope to be both a shield and a path. It can be a strong protective factor against depression and suicide, as well as helping us move forward with improved coping skills, engagement in healthy behavior, and it's essential in developing resilience. There is a strong association with overall improved well-being as well. However, there is a dark side to hope. As positive it can be when grounded in realism, the opposite of that is also present when there is a sense of false hope when unrealistic expectations are present, which can lead one to ignore the joy and comfort available in the present moment. I met our guest on October 27th of last year at the Utah Valley University Conference on Mental Health while staffing an exhibitor table for this podcast. Next to me was a table full of information on a specific product, pre-therapy. This table was visited by many of the conference attendees, and through talking to the folks at the table, I understood why. Pre-therapy is a valuable tool for a very common situation, and I also learned about its other products called Hope Kits and their use. I was so intrigued that I asked Jason Clawson to join us to talk about these products. He is a certified mental health clinician from Provo, Utah, who created these products based on its individual experiences, and I welcome him to the show today. Jason, good to see you again. Oh, it's great to be here, Jeff, and I'm grateful that we created a connection that's going to last for a long time. This is Sometimes great. serendipity is the most important thing in our lives, huh? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so sometime around 375 BC, Plato wrote his most famous works, Republic, and he authored the phrase loosely translated as, necessity is the mother of invention. For both the hope kits and pre-therapy, it sounds like an accurate statement. Starting with the hope kit, can you talk a bit about what they are and the genesis of each product? Sure. So the Hope Kit is an opportunity for people that go through life-altering events like death and depression and anxiety. And it's to bring back and instill hope once again. For me, this hits home because when my wife was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer, it rocked my world. And I was left with all these questions of, how do I get through this? What am I going to do? Is there going to be any hope through this process? And it left me like my brain was just so unimaginably like disorganized that I couldn't find any hope. And I remember even reaching out to the doctor after she delivered the news and the doctor said, well, Jason, you'll be okay but cancer has a way of enhancing your life. <laughs> so like, and then again, I, I get this news of your wife has stage four colon cancer. And then my doctor says, this is going to be a way of enhancing your life. So it really left me just confused and picking up the pieces and just saying, where do I go from here? How am I going to get through this? And I think a lot of people that go through these events are in my same situations where they felt hopeless and they felt like, what am I going to do? Like my wife is dying and I have two boys at home. It's like, what am I going to do? So I felt this heaviness sit upon me 
of trying to find a way to bring some light and hope into my life. But when you get this diagnosis, it's hard to function and it's hard to just not do anything but one day at a time, <laughs> like they teach in recovery, right? Yeah. One day at a time, one step at a time, one minute. And for me, I did that. But I remember putting on a mask to hide my emotions because I'm a male. And I said, I'm going to I'm gonna be there for everybody. But inside me, I was tearing up inside. So this lasted for nine months after she got diagnosed. And then we said goodbye to Valerie nine months later. And then that even hit hard where I was sitting at home and I'm laying in my bed after the funeral when everybody disappears and your support is gone. And I wake up and I said, I don't want to get out of bed. I just don't want to live. <laughs> Frankly, it was just a depressing, uh, unfathomable way of living your life. And I sat there for a while. And right then my little boy knocked on the door and he says, Dad, can you make me breakfast? And I knew, well, I can't just lay in my bed all day. I need to get up and function. And I got out of bed that day and I made him breakfast and I, I celebrated that small little thing. But I remember shortly after this, I was trying to find solutions or support or help or had to grieve. And as a clinician for 15 years that has helped people through grief, I found two things that I can help people, but I couldn't help myself. I couldn't look in the mirror and help me through grief. And then as I looked and looked for solutions, there wasn't a lot of solutions to find people hope. So I said, something needs to change and something needs to happen. So what I did is I began looking for ways to help people. And the thing that really transformed was why looking to help others, I was helping myself. And the event that really made a significant pivotal moment in our life was I remember being in the parking lot at lunch nine months after my wife passed away and the heaviness was so hard. And I said, I need help. I need to reach out. So I pulled out my phone, began to text 15 of my closest friends. And I said, I need to share how I'm feeling and I'm not okay. So I invited them to the, my house at seven o'clock that night. And I sent them a text. And I remember at my house waiting. And at seven o'clock came around, I got this knock at the door and people showed up. And then I thought, oh no, I'm going to have to share. I'm going to have to open up and I'm going to have my own intervention. And that's basically what it was, is I called my own intervention. But I, I sat in my living room and I took off my mask. I'm getting emotional talking about this. Is, mm -hmm. And I told them how hard life was going through grief. They listened intently. They wanted to hear how I was feeling. And in that moment, I invited them into my circle to help me. Then at that moment, they could say and they could do what they needed to do. And in that moment, I began to feel hope again. Uh, the light came on and I was like, well, I'm not going to do this alone. I'm going to do this with people. And shortly after that was called, I call my healing team. And shortly after this, what I did was I ended up quitting my job to reconnect with my kids. My boys needed a father. They needed someone to be in their life to be able to help them through the grieving process. And this isn't for everybody. <laughs> I'm not saying go and quit your job. But for me, it worked. My heart was calling me to be home for my kids. 
And I remember thinking, what am I going to do? And and the first thing we did was I said, boys, I'm going to be, I'm not working. So let's make some memories together. And we sat at the kitchen table and we made a bucket list of things we wanted to do. One of them on there was make a lemonade stand. What we did is we created a lemonade stand. We wanted to raise money for people that were struggling. And at that moment, I didn't know what was going to happen. We wanted to raise money for two baskets. So we set out the lemonade stand, set it out for a couple hours. And by the time it was done, we raised $1,500 to go towards hope kits. And we were going to deliver these to people that were struggling like us. What I found was when we went and delivered those baskets, and frankly, we didn't know what we were doing. We're just like... We have this kit to be able to help people and we show up at their homes and people that just lost spouses died in in traumatic ways. What we sat there and we offered them a little bit of hope through this box. We sat with them. We cared about them. We say life sucks. My kids talk to their kids. And I remember just a little bit of hope with these families that have gone through these traumatic events. And I walked out and I said, oh my gosh, I want to do this the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And I want to bring hope to people. And I didn't know what that meant, but I knew I needed to do that because that's what my heart was calling. But for me to be able to find hope, it was giving of my heart and giving back to other people in need. And that brought so much joy to my life. And through this and doing it over and over and again, my best support was watching this from a distance. And he saw how happy I was on Facebook and why we go walk around the neighborhood and he says, I want to do what you are doing, Jason. <laughs> You're, the light is on. And he had a successful marketing business, but he wasn't happy. But we met together, we talked and he said, you know what, Jason, I'm going to sell my shares in my business and I'm going to join in forces to be able to create the hope kit. And we sat there and we cried and we said, okay, let's do this (laughs) because a lot of people need hope. That's where the hope kit started is from that heart event of losing my wife to delivering these baskets to bring hope to people. And I've never looked back, Jeff. I think being able to be with people and care and give people hope again is what everybody needs, especially in the world today. Some significant things that, that I kind of undercurrents that I heard and things that jumped out at me as you were speaking. I've known that sometimes the best clinical intervention I've ever had is telling somebody, wow, you're right. That sounds horrible. That sucks. When my brother passed of an overdose in 1990, and it was about six months after my mother had died from cancer, my boss at the time, I'll never, I don't remember much about this job. It was a tough time, but he pulled me aside and he just said, take whatever you need because this shit is real. And that was the most important thing anyone could have said to me at that time. This is real. And when I talk to people and we talk about people doing peer work and things, we say, hope is not a skill. You yourself don't bring the hope. You help somebody find their hope. And I think that sounds like what the kit does and what happened to you. Something clicks and you say, this is what I have to do. And you have to find hope for yourself. And through the hope kits, people are able, you you help them open that door, right? You provide that door to let them, but somebody's listening, somebody cares, and here's how you find your hope. I just think that's incredibly significant. Yeah. I mean, you're in this place where you don't know where to go, 
And when these boxes show up, it's like, okay, there's comfort. There's a way to be able to get through this, to be able to build a team and help you get your feet back on track so that you can be open to what you need to hear and what you need to experience next. And it doesn't come overnight. It's You've got to be kind of in a space like you were to say, I need to hear this. I need to yeah, share what exactly. I need to hear back. Yeah, um, exactly. Now, do you do hope kits for just people who lost spouses or loved ones, or are there other hope kits that you do now? Yeah, we also do those that have a diagnosed with cancer because that hits home and we know how hard that can be. And then just general mental health is a hope kit available for those people because Again, this is something I've dealt with for 15, 16 years, and those are boxes that are available for those people in those situations. What types of things are in the boxes? So there's cookies in there because that brings comfort. Oh, yes, <laughs> it does. There's fuzzy socks, and those are the the times that you, when you hear the news, you just want to be comforted. When people try to give you advice or tell you, it's so cloudy and it just doesn't sink in. So we said, let's do some comfort things from the beginning. And then in each of the boxes is a children's book, kind of a metaphor to be able to help people understand and feel that experience. In our grief boxes, the name of the book is called, I can't think of it right now. <laughs> yeah, that happens. <laughs> uh, but it's a children's book where you read it and you're able to understand and you're able to Remember that person and keep them in your life. Always with you is the name of the book. Okay. And then as we dig a little bit deeper, we have thank you cards. So you can send out thank you cards for people that have given you gifts and supported you. And then we also have what I love in there is a deck of support cards. And a lot of people, when you go through an event, they don't know what to say. They always say the wrong thing or their intentions are well, but we have a deck of support cards that you get and then you hand them to your friends and then they text you or they say what they need to do to help you through the process. We interviewed over 200, 250 widows and people that have lost loved ones. And these are the responses that people got that made such an incredible difference. And we put them on a deck of support cards to be able to help through the process. Oh, I and love then, that idea. Yeah. And it's one of my favorite things because I have been told some of the worst things <laughs> and I don't want people to go through that. I want them to go, here's your cue cards. Now support me <laughs> and, and get me to talk and get me to open up the right way so that I can begin feeling comfortable about talking about all the yuck that I'm feeling. As people, it's kind of human nature that if somebody we love, care about is going through something, we say something that would be comforting to us and 100%. it may not be. So if somebody on the outside is very connected to their faith and they go to that person, well, you've got to get back in touch with your faith. That may not be what that person wants to hear or be in that place or be as important to them. And it can have that opposite effect, right? It can create some kind of, oh, this person doesn't really know me and take away from hope instead of saying, I'm here, I'm thinking about you. Whatever it may be on the deck that's important. And I like that it comes from so many other people. That's yeah, just kind of some yeah. common things that people have put out there. There's a journal in there that yep. helps you a year's worth of journal prompts. So the idea of the Hope Kit for the grief is to help you get through that first death anniversary that can be stressful and overwhelming. And to be able to kind of do some work so when it comes up, you can 
manage, you can get through that. And it's not so overwhelming. I know that, and this is very personal to me, as I've experienced grief, I know that things are okay for me when I'm able to joke and laugh about that person again. Oh, yeah. Uh, about what I mean. Some people may find that offensive, and I can get that. But to me, that's where I know that I'm okay, that, they be, that they're part of my laughing and joking. So, I, I, you know, that's my cue. Let's talk about pre-therapy. That's what your exhibit table was focusing on. You got a lot of attention for that. When you and I were talking about it, yeah. I was intrigued. And I don't know if I was so intrigued that I bought one and I gave it to a colleague of mine who has experience with adolescents because it's way outside anything I have, I acknowledge. She runs an adolescent program. And I gave it to her and said, be honest, tell me what you think. And she reached out back to me and said, I love it. Can I keep it? And I said, no, you can't keep it. You got to give it back. <laughs> but you can buy one. So that to me was what I needed to understand because I would look at it. Adolescent culture is not where I'm strong. I went through it as a child. I went through it as a parent. I don't want anything to do with it again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit about the pre-therapy kit. And the story behind it is interesting as well. Yeah. Again, this is probably about a year ago, a little over a year ago. I get a call from the principal from my kid's school, my 10-year-old. And says, I'm sorry, but we're going to suspend your kid for the third time. And again, keep in mind, this is a kid that's gone through losing his mom. And recently, before this, also lost his grandma. So he's going through some hard issues. And we're just trying to get back on track. And I remember going, okay, what are we going to do? And I thought, well, we got to get him into therapy. He needs to talk and get some support. But as I went and looked for a therapist I wanted to work with and there was a huge, huge waiting list. There's eight to 10 week waiting list to get into therapy. Mm -hmm. And I, again, I was in that point where this is my industry and this can't happen. You guys, there's people that are struggling. And, and I thought like, I'm going to be here with my kid for eight to 10 weeks, just trying to get to the finish line. And I thought, man, he's going to struggle so much. So I thought, what can I do to be able to help this, this challenge? And the thought popped in, let's create a box that gives people hope mm -hmm. <laughs> why they're waiting to get into therapy, gives them resources and tools. So when they get to go talk to a therapist, they're more open, they're ready to go, they have some skills. It's a more, more of a connection when they meet for the first couple of times, rather than just kind of building rapport this gets them ready for therapy. And this can be applied to people that aren't quite sure about therapy or they just need a little push in the right direction. So it's a six-week step-by-step. It has uh, readings and tasks that you do on a daily basis that get you mentally and emotionally ready to get into therapy and have a better outcome because you're in a better mind frame to be able to start therapy. I feel really inspired because it came together so fluid. And I thought about my kid through the whole process and about all the kids that I've worked with over the last several years and people in the same situation. And now I get to give this to them to help them get ready and families get ready for therapy. <laughs> the important things that jump out to me are certainly the hope. Just the fact that it's something that can help them build hope and find hope. Because hearing, oh, there's a 10-week wait list, is crushing for people. Mm -hmm. Because you yeah. don't know in 10 weeks 
is your child going to be ready or even want to or be in worse situation? Yeah. So you're able to kind of strike while the iron is hot. You can present it to the child and parents know their kids and go from there, go as quickly or as, as slowly as it takes, but engaging that kid in something positive moving forward. Mm -hmm. And also the idea that to make therapy more effective because the child's in a different spot when they were there. What you've done on these, we talked about this a little bit offline, is you've done, a, I think, a really good job of taking what were your experiences and creating an idea that is not about your experiences necessarily. For each person, it's going to be about their experience, mm -hmm. that they can personalize things as yeah. it works for them. There's that's not a, great, a lot of that in this field. I was going to say, Jeff, that's a great point because the way we set it up was it's kind of like choose your own adventure. <laughs> mm -hmm. We're not cookie cuttering. Here's this for everybody. One of the first things they do is they do a self-assessment to figure out where their deficiencies are. Deficiency as far as like yep. physical, intellectual, emotional, social. And then they go on that task the very first week to start working on that. And then they just follow suit working on each areas that they need help with. So you're right. It's better that way because I'm not saying you need to do it this way because if you know teenagers or people, they just, I'm not going to do it that way. But if you leave it up to them, then they're more inclined to engage in the process. It's very difficult, I think, for anybody to give up a certain amount of control. And this allows them to maintain that control over how they're going to do something, what they're going to do with it, so that they can personalize it, they can make it about what their needs are, instead of saying, you got to do this, 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 this. Some kids tie their shoes with the one and unders swoop. Some kids tie them with bunny ears, you know, and some kids wear Velcro sneakers. As an old man, I wear slip-ins now. But I, so there's a lot of different ways to get to the same result. People have to choose what's doing that. I think this is important, allowing them to do that. It, we've seen a lot of great outcomes, Jeff. We did a special on the news about it. We said we're looking to have people test the box. And we sent out about 25 boxes and got some feedback from people that experienced the box for the first time. Because it's new. It's a new concept, but it's an innovative way to be able to get ready for therapy. And one of my favorite stories to this is a lady that reached out to us and said, I have a daughter that just recently attempted suicide and she just got out of the hospital and I don't know what to do. And she said, can this box help me? And I said, let's send you one and see how it goes. And the feedback that we got from this mother is, I mean, it makes me feel so good because she said, thank you for designing this box because now me and my daughter's relationship has been strengthened. We've developed some skills together. We're laughing together. And our relationship has really changed by just going through this box. And I said, oh, my gosh, these are the stories that I want to keep hearing to help people in those situations. Communication between parents and adolescent children is, is difficult as it is. But when you throw in a situation like somebody who may have tried to take their own life or is experiencing some substance use issues or some other mental health issues, that's even harder for parents to talk about. Yeah. Because if they haven't experienced it at all, do I say the wrong thing? And you know, when you talk to an adolescent, everything is the wrong thing. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that it opens up lines of communication. Again, these are really, really important things that have to happen 
that we don't talk about as much. We focus on whatever the therapeutic intervention is instead of saying, let's get families to talk to each other. The things that can change when you can open up a line of understanding and communication. Uh, so I, I'm I'm glad to see that you're getting that kind of feedback. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, are you seeing most of your sales locally in Utah? Or I know that you go around. Are you seeing it in other pockets of the country as well? I mean, we're in Utah, but we're starting to see pockets start to pick up. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And we're partnering and teaming up with a couple of groups that can mm-hmm. help share and promote our the hope kit or the the pre therapy kit to be able yeah. to help people. So the problem with us and what we need is just get the news. The it's available. It's there to help people rather than again sitting in that long waiting list of discomfort and you're just struggling with your kid at the same time. This is something that will help through that process. I tell people it is therapy, (laughs) but it's the sky. So it's not so overwhelming and it brings up emotions that's going to cause you to fall apart. It's gradually building momentum into that therapy session. Again, I think it's fantastic. That's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on. Also, because you're a pleasant person and and interesting to talk to. But (laughs) I just think that the things that are coming from this, I was really impressed to see you on the local news clips for the reason that the bad news gets 20 minutes and anything positive gets a minute and a half or whatever it is. But they gave you some time to talk about this so that it's not just, you know, oh, and this is available. Here's the problem. This is available. It was much more involved in that. And I was glad to see that. Yeah, it's rare. Yeah. And we need more of that. (laughs) Our mission is to bring hope. Part of our jobs are traveling and doing things. And I'm a big connoisseur of local news. I like to see what's happening and how they present local news. And I pay attention to good versus bad. And this is a problem. So I see that it's a little different in your case. It's heartening. Yeah. (laughs) Before we finish up, is there anything you'd like to add? Where can people see more learn more and purchase kits if they wish to we can go to hopekit.com okay and they have the kits available the mm-hmm. grief the cancer the mental health for those struggling and then you can go to pretherapy.com that has the ability to connect to be able to get some of those kits available and i can certainly anybody who needs to get in contact i can kind of facilitate that if people get in touch mm-hmm. with me i can make sure that they get those links any closing thoughts You know, I learned, I always like to share this because the opposite of grief, the opposite of depression, the opposite of loneliness and addiction is really connection. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And when I've sat in therapy sessions and people come in and they share, there's this disconnect that they have with people and sharing and opening up. And as we get people to open up and connect with people their healing starts to really transform and starts to move forward. And that's what I love to share. And that's what I love to do is connecting people with people that can help them. Because remember, it goes back to when I was sitting in my intervention (laughs) and I called it and, and I took off my mask, my grief and my journey really didn't change. I don't think until I began to open up and I told people how I was really doing. And again, it gave people permission to say, oh my gosh, I can help you with this and I can say this. That's what truly moved me forward in my life. Oh yeah, the the part about connection and we 
said a lot, and I just had a conversation with Johan Hari, who's done some TED Talks and wrote a book about the opposite of addiction is connection. And it really is. It's going from a place of loneliness and despair to where a place of I'm not alone. And it doesn't have to be anything other than sometimes as simple as just doing something that you like to do with people that you like to do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, The night between my mom's wake and funeral, my friends took me out to play darts. And it was important because that's something that we all did together. And through the process of just throwing darts, I was able to say, yeah, I'm not really feeling too great. This is difficult. Here's what I'm worried about. Here's what I'm thinking. But it was under the radar, right? It was it was couched in the idea of doing something that we did together. So it was a familiar environment where I could talk about things that were going on. Yep. And it was incredibly helpful. So how could that be helpful? It took my mind off of something <laughs> and left me vulnerable. Yeah. So, Jason, thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. I'll make sure that we get this podcast out and people can hear about it. And I'll, I'll refer people to your site for that. And I look forward to staying connected and talking again in the future. Yeah, it's a pleasure, Jeff. And I love the work you're doing. And let's help more people that need hope. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. I appreciate the time. And that's going to do it for us on our first episode of year five, which I'm very excited about. And I think it's great that we started out. We're able to start talking about installation of hope as we begin the new year. As usual, you can catch us through our Podbean, through Amazon, through iTunes, and we'll see you next time, everybody. 